0: All right, let's, let, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the churches and the individual Christians represented in this room today. And we pray, Lord, that as we come under your word, that we would truly be under it, that it would be your authoritative, sufficient voice in our life. God, we pray that you uh, cause us to yield to it in mind and in heart, that we might go away changed and glorifying you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can find one under one of the chairs in front of you. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to get right to it. And we're going to fit 40 minutes into 20. So um, turn up hearing aids, fasten seat belts. Here we go. Beginning at verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, That was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of God. Hear it this morning. Paul here lays out for the Colossians a people that he's never met. Uh, you may or may not know the, the the background of the letter to the Colossians, but the church at Colossae was started by a man named Epaphras, who, uh, as best we can tell, was in Ephesus, probably on business, heard Paul preaching, got saved, and said, My people in Colossae need this message, and went back to plant the church. But now false teaching has begun to take root. So Epaphras has left Colossae back to Ephesus to entreat the instruction and the help of the encouragement of the Apostle Paul, and now he is sending this letter back to the the churches. And here he describes what is his his apostolic ministry. Here is what he does as, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. As the apostle, part of this is uniquely filled in him, being part of the foundation of the church, that, that the tip of that gospel spear that first penetrated uh, the, the nations, even he talks about here. But here's the other thing. It serves as a pattern now for us today. What I want to argue is what we see here all are the essentials of all christian ministry it doesn't matter if you're a pastor in a pulpit doesn't matter if you're a lay person in the pew doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old this is our calling in christ we have been called make disciples how do we do that paul says this is how you make disciples so, so so, what is that? Five things we want to see this morning. Five things that we should be doing if we are obedient to Christ's command to make disciples as individual Christians, as leaders, as servants, as entire churches. We should be doing five things. First of all, serve the word. Serve the word. Paul speaks about the church of which he became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to him for the church. What is the stewardship? He says the stewardship is to make the word of God fully known. Paul says, I did not take up this ministry. I did not wake up out of bed and say, you know what? I'm going to be an apostle to the Gentile churches. He says he is a steward of this ministry that has been given to him. God has entrusted him with this task of serving the church. That's what stewards do. That they serve by holding on that to which they have been entrusted. He says, here is the stewardship. Here is the, the ministry that I have been entrusted with to make the word of God fully known. And friends and loved ones, this is the heart and soul of all Christian ministry. This is what we are doing. Everything that we're doing in churches should be serving this goal, to make the word of God fully known. That is the way that people are brought into the church by saving faith in Christ. That is the way that they are grown in the church through sanctifying faith in Christ. Notice especially we are to make the word fully known. And, and as a preacher, let me, let me step on the toes of preachers here. And as one other preacher has said, if you can't say amen, say ouch. We don't have a calling to ride hobby horses. We don't have a calling to just take our favorite text over and over and over again. We have a calling to make the word of God fully known. Paul said to the the churches in Ephesus, I can go away with a clear conscience that I declared to you the entirety of God's counsel. So, so as, as pastors, especially as leaders, we have an obligation to, to have in our minds a plan. How are we going to get at making known the fullness of God's Word? But again, this is not just for pastors. This is not just for churches. This is for every Christian. And here's the thing. Making known the fullness of God's Word begins with knowing the fullness of God's Word, right? So, so far too often that the, the Bible sits on our desk. It sits in our car. It's like it, it, it's like a St. Christopher medal that just hangs. It's a talisman to ward off evil and sin. But we never actually crack the spine to, to feel the crinkle in the pages. We never actually soak in the very words of life that are there. I heard a story that was incredibly challenging to, to me as an individual, but also as a leader, is about POWs in World War II in Japan, and, and, and that there, there is a special uh, tap system of communication that is designed so that POWs that, though they are isolated, can still communicate through pipes and walls. This is back in World War II where people had more than just a casual understanding of the Bible, and just by memory, they were able to almost complete a New Testament tapping it out as encouragement to one another this person memorized this verse this person had this chapter in this chapter do we know the word like that if your bible sat out in the rain and part of it disintegrated would you miss 30 chapters of jeremiah would you be able to know this is what was in those chapters maybe not even verbatim but you knew yeah that, that's where he talks about the new covenant in christ Oh, well, What about Leviticus or Amos or even the Gospels where we have the words, the precious words of Christ ourself recorded for us? Do we have a plan to ingest, to, to be changed by, to, to to come to delight in the fullness of the words so that we can be sharing the fullness of the word? Because here's the thing, if we don't share the fullness of the word, we wind up with lopsided Christians. Right now we have people that share a lopsided gospel and therefore it's no gospel at all. It, you know, it, it it doesn't take a lot of, thinking to understand why we, we can say we have 16 point whatever million southern baptists but less than 10 show up on sunday mornings it's because we've not preached a clear full-bodied fully known gospel and therefore we've not created christians we've created converts we've created numbers and so as leadership as lay people going to to to, to serve this word we need to do it in its fullness one pastor recently in Florida was reviewing a new student study Bible and he gave it excellent marks, but then here's what he said. We are living in a day and time when a lot, we own a lot of Bibles, but the Bible doesn't own us. My encouragement to you is to reject the culture of biblical illiteracy and don't simply own another Bible. Have the Bible own you! Take this incredibly well-bound, aesthetically pleasing Bible and graffiti it with your sweat and your tears. Make your labors of mind and heart test the binding of this Bible and leave it with a strip of duct tape or two. Yes, get it good. Good enough to preoccupy your mind with thoughts of God and you will never regret the hours you spent listening to God as the Spirit makes His truth come alive to your soul. Paul says his his desire, his calling, his stewardship is to make the word of God fully known. And he says, secondly, specifically, as I do that, I am aiming to proclaim the Son. This is the second thing we see: serve the word. Secondly, proclaim the Son. He says, I make the word of God fully known. That is the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to a saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. You know, in Paul's day, and especially in uh, the city of Colossae, there were these things called the mystery religions. And basically, they did not advertise their doctrinal statement. They didn't say, this is what we believe about the gods. No, instead, we will tell you a little bit. But then you come, and you be a faithful member at this temple, and you worship with us, and you give us money, and slowly over time, we will reveal to you the mysterious secrets of religious wisdom. It's kind of like freemasonry or scientology today you line the coffers and and we will line your minds of course it's all demonic information but they didn't know that and paul is saying that's not christianity jesus remember what he said what i tell you in secret you declare from the rooftops and what he is saying here is about the mystery is not something that's hidden it's something that was once hidden and is now revealed it was obscure and unclear through the old testament scriptures but now that christ has come he has brought a fullness of understanding and we see the reality of what it is this mystery is rooted in christ himself not just his messiahship but his messiahship that that, that when god says i will send david and he says i, I myself will, will come and you say, well what's going to happen suddenly you have a passage like isaiah 53 and you say who's the servant and jesus comes and he says they're all me I am David's greater son. I am the suffering servant that is going to do what Israel, the servant, can never do. And I am God in the flesh. People stand back amazed that God himself comes and takes on flesh and and, and walks with confidence and purpose. Luke tells us that Jesus set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, meaning nothing is going to stop me from the cross. He, He did that for us. But then, more than that, he was raised glorious above all powers, above all kings, above all thrones, to rule and to reign over all things. And Paul says, here is the even greater mystery that was made known among the Gentiles. They're included too. He's not just the Jewish Messiah. He is the Gentile savior of the world. How great, he says, is the grace that I get to make known among the Gentiles. He says, for those who believe, who put their faith in Christ, trusting him to be the sacrifice that brings forgiveness of sins, he is the hope of glory. He's the hope of salvation for sinners rescued from the wrath of God to live forever with God. Now in all this we find the focus of Paul's ministry of the word. As Paul seeks to make fully known the word, he is taking together all the threads of every book, of every, of every kind of literature from the Proverbs to the Psalms to the law. He is bringing them all together and saying, here is Christ. See, so where did he learn that? Well, I know where the other disciples learn that they learn from jesus himself read the end of luke he's resurrected and he says look let me open your minds to get this and it says beginning in at the beginning of genesis and working all the way through to the end of the prophets he he shows them all the things concerning themselves now that's we want a tape recorder for right i mean that's a bible study not only is jesus giving it but he's saying okay so genesis one here's how here's how it talks about me genesis two here's how it talks about me genesis three fifteen, 15 that, that's kind of an easy one but tell us jesus how does it talk about you Furthermore, furthermore, he condemns the Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures diligently, but you don't see me. And Jesus condemns that as sinful. So, so like Spurgeon, who every Sunday, he said, I, ta- I start with my text, then I make a beeline for the cross. So also when we are seeking to proclaim the whole counsel of God, make the, God f- the word of God fully known, we always do it by proclaiming the Son. That becomes the focus of the teaching. Because what did Jesus himself say? If you hold me up, I will draw all men to myself. So we serve the word, we proclaim the son. Third, we disciple the church. We disciple the church. This is verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now I know this is hard for us to understand because it would just completely not be tolerated. But I find it absolutely amazing that in the revolutionary days, Baptist churches used to have a, a, an office—a a, a, um, a, not like elder deacon office, but a position in the church, a formal ministry position called the exhorter. So the pastor would give up, would get up, he would give the sermon, largely doctrine. Then the exhorter would get up, and, and one of the guys we know—he's a 15-year-old boy. Some punk kid, and he would get up and say, "Now, here's what this does for your marriage, and, and how you should how you should talk to Sam. How would you like to have that done on a Sunday morning, right?" And he would get up and say, "And and you need to ought not talk to your children that way, but you ought to show them kindness and love and respect. But you, you don't discipline your children enough. You need to spank them once in a while." And over here, and this is what he would do. I, I don't think that would fly, do you? <laughs> but and I'm not saying that we should have that, especially a 15 year old boy, unless he's unless he's really really close to God. But this is what Paul was doing. He says, this is how you make the word of God fully known. Here's how you proclaim the Son. You don't stand up in an ivory tower and just kind of pr- project out. No, you get down and he says, I warn everyone. I teach everyone with wisdom. That is to say, he is, he is rubbing in and he is applying wisely what that person needs to hear so that they can repent of sins, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, be warned of the coming judgment more deeply believing and living lives to the glory of God. So, so Paul says, it's not just about teaching. It's teaching aimed at discipleship. And who, who gets that kind of proclamation? What does he say? Everyone. I warn everyone. I teach everyone. What does that mean? That means that in our churches, we are far too quick to, to bifurcate, to cut in half evangelism and encouragement salvation, and sanctification. What Paul says, ultimately, you do both the same way. It's making the word of God fully known, proclaiming the Son, and doing it wisely as you apply it to people's lives that they might become mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said to do? He didn't say make converts. He didn't say get decisions. He said make disciples. It starts with entrance into the kingdom the first time by faith in Christ, gloriously regenerated, given new life by God's Spirit. But that Spirit remains. And we don't say, well, now I'm a Christian, I'm a disciple, I'm done. No, we continue to mature and to grow. That's what he says his goal is. I want to present everyone mature in Christ. So so, so you don't just say they're saved, they're in, they've got the fire insurance. That's not the goal. That's not the goal for us as Christians. That's not the goal for us as we do ministry as Christians. And again, let me just say, this is not just about the pastors. Absolutely, it's about the pastors, but it's not just about the pastors. You say, how do you know that? Read the New Testament. The, the, the clear and obvious expectation is every disciple will be making disciples. So here are some examples. In Romans 15, Paul says he writes to the Christians and says, teach one another. In Hebrews 3, the apostle told the Christians, exhort one another daily to faithfulness. In Philippians 1, he says that all of us individually are partners in gospel ministry. I think the clearest is here in Colossians 1. Or excuse me, Colossians 3. Colossians 3. Here in chapter 1, he says, I warn everyone, I teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Then in chapter 3, he addresses the individual believers. And here's what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It's the same ministry. Do you see that? What he says is my ministry as an apostle. He commands the Colossian Christians to be doing. All disciples are meant to be disciple-makers, and so that begs the question, doesn't it? First of all, are we seeking to be mature in Christ? We don't have the option of hitting auto, autopilot and going and taking a snooze for a couple of years as a Christian and say I'm all right. Paul says, you are pressing, and you are pressing, and you are pressing, you're aiming for maturity in Christ. In other words, being, as he says elsewhere in Romans, conformed to his image. When people in the church look at you, do they see Jesus. People outside the church look at you. Do they see Jesus? But then the second thing is, are you helping others become mature in Christ? God never saves a cul-de-sac. I mean, they're, they're nice when we're kids, we can ride our bikes in circles. You know what I'm talking about? But guess what? Christians aren't supposed to be like that. They're not supposed to be a cul-de-sac. They're not supposed to be a sponge. God doesn't expect us to just sit and soak and soak and soak and church is great. It's for me. It's for me. No, we are to take what is given, given to us and give it to others. Read Ephesians 2.10, we are saved not by works, but for works. That's not just deeds of service, that is making disciples. It is the essential call on our lives. But that's not easy, is it? I mean, ministry is hard, it is messy, it is sometimes painful, it is work. And so Paul says, this is why he does, and we should, number four, labor for people. Labor for people. He says, verse 29, I am striving to present everyone mature in Christ for, here's the goal, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the English uh, toil is very much the same in the, in the Greek word, but, but the other struggle is much more intense. We, we get the word agonize or agony from it. So imagine Rocky Balboa go in the distance with Apollo Creed punch after punch after punch body shot after body shot after body shot jabs haymakers and the whole time he is, he is in agony but he's seeking to go the distance right he wants to go the distance that's the imagery that's going on there paul says here is what christian ministry is about here is what word ministry is about it is toil it is struggle it is agony it is work it is labor but notice for what you're laboring it's not a program it's not an institution. You're laboring for people. He says, he says I, am, I am struggling towards the people of this church. I want to present everyone mature in Christ. And if we actually seek to labor that way, then we're, we're going to be very close potentially to burnout if we don't learn what Paul himself teaches us here. How does he struggle? How does he toil? With all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul explains this better in, or maybe not better, but at least more fully in Philippians 2. There he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So much of the Christian life, so much of theology gets off right here. We want to exalt God's sovereignty, but we say, well, that just means we, get to do, we don't have to do anything, because God's going to do it all. That's not what Paul said. Well, said, I believe in a great and sovereign God, but He uses means. He uses me. If I don't open my mouth and preach, people aren't going to get saved. And so so a belief in God's power does not cause us to become sluggish. It is it is more than means of saying, I need the divine Duracell battery plugged in. And when I have it, I can go and go and go and go and go. Therefore, it is in fact a reliance on God that leads to being able to endure and persevere in toil and struggle in making disciples. Therefore, we need to understand what it means to rest in Christ. Isn't that what he he calls us to? That's not just saving faith. That is the, the entirety of our life. He is a shepherd that says, come to me and find rest. We need to understand what it means, as Paul says, to walk in the Spirit in Galatians. There is this amazing like triple negative Where he says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not absolutely no way fulfill the lust of the flesh. I read that verse and you know what I think? I'm not walking in the spirit like I should be. Because far too often I do fulfill the lust of the flesh. But here is the promise we have from God. When we work, when we toil in the power with which he empowers us, then we can succeed. All of that leads to what Nehemiah told the people of Israel as they were seeking to to rebuild their lives. We need to know the joy of the Lord as our strength, as our strength. Despite frustration, despite pain, despite sorrow, despite slander, despite poverty, Paul toiled and struggled for his people, even to the point of suffering. Here is the final and fifth thing we want to see, the, 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 the final element of essential Christian ministry. We ought to be ready to rejoice in suffering. We ought to be ready to rejoice in suffering. Some of you know the name J. Oswald Sanders. He's written some great books on spiritual leadership. He um, was for several years working with the, the OMF, the Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And you may or may not know that's the missionary agency that uh, was originally started by Hudson Taylor, one of the first missionaries to, to China. And during a sermon he one time gave to a group of missionaries, he told them, you need to understand that that you need to be prepared to suffer because it can advance the cause of the gospel. And he talked about an individual that apparently he had met at some point. He was a believer in India who uh, was not raised a believer, was raised a Hindu, but was gloriously slave, uh, saved. And uh, though had no formal training, no formal education, he was gripped by the gospel and knew people need to hear this message. So uh, with little more than clothes on his back, no shoes on his feet, a staff in hand, he begins walking from village to village to village to village proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? He gets to one village at, at, at one point. It's getting close to dusk, and he begins to gather people in the town square to tell them about Jesus, and they run him out of the village. They hurl rocks at him. They, 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 they hurl uh, books at him. Uh, they, they, they hurl pottery at him. They want him out. They do not like to hear this message of this exclusive God. And so he, he leaves, and, and of course it's night, and he's exhausted. He's tired. He's, he's been beaten on a little bit. His feet are sore. How would you like to walk around India with no shoes? And so rather than moving completely on to the next village, he just finds this tree and he lays down under this tree and falls asleep. About the middle of the night, he is startled awake and he sees about half the village surrounding him. And he thought, well, this is it. You know, here here I come, Jesus. And instead, the leader of the village steps out and he says, we came out to see what kind of man you really were and now we know you're a holy man. He said, how do you know that? He says, we saw your feet. We saw the injury, we saw the bruising, we saw the bleeding scars, and we knew that if you endured that to bring us a message, it must be a message worth listening to. Tell us about this Jesus once again. Do you understand why why God would put a verse? What why he would put a verse in the Bible that says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news? who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness and publishes salvation, Isaiah 52. Here's the thing. Paul says here something that if we're not careful, will shock us. Hopefully if we're reading this, it'll make us slow down and think, what in the world is he saying? He says, I rejoice in my sufferings, verse 24, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. You say, Paul is heresy. What are you talking about? The lackings of Christ's sufferings? Well, first of all, he's not saying lack in the sense of saving effect. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole point of this letter is the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. The Colossians don't need anything else to be saved and right with God. But remember who Paul is, he's a missionary to the Gentiles. That means these people have not been to Jerusalem. They, they know the Jews only by reputation. They were not there. They've not heard the message. They've not seen the sacrifices off, uh, offered uh, year after year after year after year for centuries. Therefore, Paul says, it is in fact in the sufferings of my own body that I put on display the sufferings of Christ that they lack in their seeing, in their knowledge. It's in my own suffering that I bear witness to the kind of love that leads a Savior to suffer for His people. I authenticate the gospel message because of my suffering. I I, to be, let's be honest, at least probably in our lifetime, I don't mean to be cruel, but maybe less some of your lifetime and maybe a little more of mine just by virtue of my age. We probably will not see a lot of suffering in this country. But so very often, because that is the case, we are weak-kneed, milquetoast-mouthed, and fear not being liked more than anything in the world. And sometimes suffering means you lose friends. Sometimes suffering means you lose reputation. Sometimes suffering even means you lose a job. But if you have been seeking to faithfully proclaim Christ in a way that honored Christ, and that it's not because of some moral failing in you, then we rejoice in that suffering. Because the way in which we endure it demonstrates Christ's willingness, Christ's willingness to suffer for us. All of his life, Martin Luther looked back on all that he had accomplished. He looked back on all the hard-won successes in defending the gospel against Rome, successes that have eventually allowed us to sit here today as Baptists with a Bible in our language that we can understand. Even if we're not Lutherans, we owe a great debt to Martin Luther. And you know what? At the end of his life, you know what people asked him? About how did you accomplish it all? How did you stand under threat of death against the against the, the emissaries of the Roman Pope and say, you're wrong, that's not what the Bible teaches? And you know what? His, you know what his reply was? I didn't do anything. The Word did everything. That's astonishing if you don't understand the power of God's Word. And here's the reality. All of us are have this entrusted ministry. All of us are stewards of the Word of God. And it is, and it is our great and magnificent calling not to be gurus on every ministry model and understanding and, and every cultural thing coming. What we simply do is say, I believe that God by His Spirit, brings power to people's lives to the Word, either for salvation or for sanctification. Therefore, I, as a Christian, as a disciple-maker, will open my mouth and lead people through the Scriptures. You know what that means? That means the ministries are never all taken in your church. Just because the, 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 there, 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 there's not a title somewhere where you get to sign your name in the blank, it doesn't mean all the ministries are gone. Are you a grandmother with children and grandchildren? Guess what you get to do? You get to have them over... Give them ice cream, then read them a Bible story and tell them about Jesus. That's a ministry of the Word. You, 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 are seasoned, you are seasoned in your marriage and you've weathered difficulties, but you love each other and God has matured you. Guess what you get to do? You get to open up the Word of God with someone who's just about ready to get married and you get to show them this is what it's like to, for, for a husband to love, to love his wife as Christ loved the church. You get to sit down as college students and sit with First Peter and say, what is it like now for, for us in a society that thrives on youth and coolness to say we're not concerned for those things because as Christians we are exiles in this culture. And so we want to stand apart from it. Being holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. That's a ministry of the Word. We're all called to it. We have a great diversity in this group and we rejoice in that. But here's what unifies us. We are disciples called to make disciples by the Word of God, proclaiming the Son, laboring for people willing to rejoice in suffering. Father, may that be true of us. May we honor Christ by imitating His Apostle. We pray it in His name. Amen.